Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, Week 16 kicks off tonight. That means it's time to hear from a member of the Cowboys beat. Michael Gelkin joins us from the Dallas Morning News for a great conversation about a huge game. Really good X's and O's, guys. That fits the podcast well here. Plus, we'll hear from the assistant coaches. We'll pick the Week 16 games. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Let's welcome in my guest today from the Dallas Morning News, Michael Gelkin. And joining me today here on the Drive Time Podcast from the Dallas Morning News, Michael Gelkin. Michael, welcome in, sir. Thank you for having me, Travis. It's a pleasure. Happy to do it. Let's go ahead and start here with you, Michael, because in watching the Cowboys, a, a very fun team this season, and in particular last week, gosh, it feels like they really missed Leighton Van Der Esch and Demario Overshone. I know there's a couple of players they've been without for a while now, but I wanted to ask you in general because you know Trayvon Diggs, obviously, no Malik Hooker and Jonathan Hankins last week. Just how the injuries have impacted this defense, and in particular that second level where the where the Buffalo Bills kind of went rough shot in the running game. I think it's a great place to start the conversation. It's obvious i think in free agency in in april during the draft the way that fans and teams get excited about player personnel acquisitions you know players on the field matters and so during the season you know there's nothing you can do about losing uh you know a, a top linebacker on, on your team in, in terms of Leighton van der Esch, uh you know a, a rookie third round pick and demario overshone uh safety malik hooker really sets a tone for the cowboys and from his physicality standpoint he's one of those types of guys one of their best tacklers and then a big loss they felt was nose tackle Jonathan Hankins. And so when you lose those guys, as much as you want to have that next man up, you know, thing that you say, that mantra, that mantra it, it, it hurts losing those guys. And so uh, I think absolutely, you know, that, that size and, and, and that experience, uh, that the loss of that was, was felt against the Buffalo Bills. You know, that offensive line, it, it's pretty rare. They've, they've started all five every single game this year and when you've got that much continuity up front against a front seven that's missing some pieces and asking some younger guys or a practice squad elevation guy or just you know asking guys to step up it's you you feel that absence and you certainly feel it when you're missing 12 tackles uh, which is about as bad as the cowboys have been uh, right there with a week five loss to the san francisco 49ers so uh it just wasn't the the, this defense is best uh at all and and most of those guys aren't, aren't coming back uh, you know, for this coming game against the Dolphins. You said most of the guys there, because that makes me curious because it just it just seems so different. Like, you know, we had Tony Romo on the call last week in Jim Nance, the, the CBS number one crew for that game. And they talked about Romo did the absence of Tyreek Hill, but how for one or two games you can possibly scheme around it before teams kind of get a piece of your new scheme and can then adjust. And then you start to really feel the absence of those players. But like you mentioned, a few of those guys not coming back, but I'm curious about two main ones here with Hankins and Hooker. I know it's early in the week doing this podcast on a Wednesday, but do you think the Cowboys will get those guys back this week? Yeah, even though this is an early week recording, I feel confident saying that Malik Hooker will be back on Sunday. He was very close to playing, a bit like Tyreek Hill um, you know, for the, other, the other day. Uh, you know, He had a pregame workout, Hooker did, and it was just decided that he couldn't go. So 
Uh, I, I would expect, given how close he was, and it was a true game day call, that he will be ready. There is that optimism for having Hooker back uh, it, it, against the Dolphins in Miami Gardens. And then for Jonathan Hankins, early week, I'm less optimistic. He has a high ankle sprain, also a knee issue. So I, I just think that's asking a lot for a 335-pound man in the trenches to to come <laughs> back You know, a couple weeks after having sustained that injury. So uh, we'll see how the week progresses, but certainly more optimistic about the Cowboys' ability to return Hooker than Hankins. Makes for a fun uh, matchup this late in the year. Two 10-win teams going at it down here in Miami Gardens. 425 kickoff, the, the primary Fox game. You guys are used to that window for the Dolphins. Not a lot of 425 Fox kickoffs for us. Uh, looking forward to this one. But I usually start at this position with these podcasts at the quarterback spot, right? That's uh, an obvious uh, low-hanging fruit there. And, Michael, I think that Dak is a good study in quarterback discourse and how misguided it can be from week to week or even year to year, because like the conversation around Dak's picks last year, right. And now it's way down back to where he typically is in terms of how he puts the ball in harm's way at a pretty minimal rate. I'm curious what you think is the big difference though, between Dak's performance in 2022 versus what he's done this year with this Cowboys offense that's going up and down the field. Yeah. Well, first Travis, I really like the way you frame that question. I'm 36 years old. How old are you, Travis? Same, same age. Good company. 36. So we're probably in the same point of life where <laughs> we have been in our industry for a while now. And yep. there are certain things that maybe bother us about how lazy some analysis can become. And I think it's kind of hard to have a stomach for like longevity in this profession sometimes when you just hear how lack <laughs> of nuance there is to a lot of prominent conversation that's had about this sport. And Dak Prescott is a terrific example where, yeah, he had interceptions last year, but if you go back and really study them, uh, you know, you would see that there was an element of the receiver core that just was felt. And, you know, the Cowboys lost Amari Cooper last year. They lost Cedric Wilson to the Dolphins and uh, they didn't really replace either of them. You know, they tried, you know, they, they drafted someone in the third round who caught a couple passes literally, and then drafted James Washington who really didn't catch any, um, or they signed James Washington to one year contract. He didn't really catch any. So there just wasn't much productivity uh, there. And so he's got a lot more help this year. Jalen Tolbert uh, is, is is another year long in terms of that former third round pick. Uh, Michael Gallup is another year removed from his ACL tear. That really helps. And, and the big addition was Brandon Cooks, a March uh, you know, addition via trade. And that he's really been a veteran in the room who's helped get guys around him, almost like a coach on the field, just so experienced. Uh, he's got such a great feel for, you know, how offenses operate and, and where to be and when to be there, the timing. And then you take that in conjunction with things that Dak's doing. So, so the big difference for Dak is, is what he's doing with his feet. Um, you know, he's got better footwork in the pocket. That's one. He's got a cleaner pocket. That's two. But when the play breaks down and he's having to extend plays after that initial 2.3 of a plus second, 2.3 seconds of a play that's typically kind of when it's scripted. When he has to go off script and, and is improvising and, and on the run, he's as good as anybody in the NFL. In fact, statistically, in terms of his rating on scramble drill plays, he's the best in the NFL. Uh, so that has all been a big part of it in, in, in conjunction as well with Mike McCarthy taking over play calling and just, I think, having a little bit more balance on offense. Uh, you know, the route progressions, the way things are structured, uh, all that is, is set up for Dak to have success. And, and, and McCarthy has more pieces than Kellen Moore had last year as offensive coordinator and play caller. But he, I, I do think Mike McCarthy deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing with those pieces. 
You know, Michael, I don't have any connects really in the Dallas market because we play you guys every presidential term. And so when I asked Brett Breckheisen, our great uh, communications manager over here, who should I ask for for a podcast for the Cowboys? He first sent your name. Now I'm seeing why. Uh, he know he understands that you would be good for the show because you just talked about exactly the things we talk about here on Drive Time all the time with discourse and how uh, how irritating it could be sometimes. So good stuff there talking about this elite quarterback and this elite offense. It's so fun to watch. And it makes for a game that has elite matchups all over the field. And we saw Jalen Ramsey travel with Garrett Wilson last week to a lot of success. Only one target, no catches on those 24 routes that he played on Garrett Wilson. I'm curious if we see Ramsey do it on C.D. Lamb this week. So my question for you, Michael, is if he does and does it well, and let's say that he takes Lamb not out of the game because you can't do that. But if he limits Lamb to a smaller amount of production than what you're used to, which is usually a bunch of catches and a bunch of yards and a bunch of touchdowns, what would the next major area of concern for the Miami offense be? Like, I know you all got weapons over there, but who would you say if Lamb's not, you know, if he has like four for 45, who would be the next guy that would beat Miami if he didn't get enough attention? Well, there's not an obvious answer, which is is, is probably the answer. Um, you know, my, my, my mind first went to, to, to Jake Ferguson, tight end, um, you know, that, that was that was one place my mind went. I would say two is probably Brandon Cooks. And then I think there's a, a pretty good gap there between anyone else in terms of the passing game. Obviously, the run game is, is something that the Cowboys would want to do. And, you know, if it's single high safety versus too high, you know, what, what that looks like, you know, the numbers game in the box and all that matters for, in terms of box count and how you want to attack a defense. But I, I do think that if you, if you take away C.D. Lamb, you're well on your way to really stressing this Cowboys offense. But uh, Jake Ferguson, tight end, second year tight end. Uh, he's he's really crafty in the open field. He's tough. In, you know, he's got a lot of toughness to him. Uh, he's he's someone that you see on tape. He's you know before he's getting open in the flat, he's chip blocking an outside you know linebacker, edge rusher, and, and help helping free himself open and helping his protection uh, with just kind of the grit and toughness to his game. So uh, I think Ferguson has, has really come along. Uh, his second year, by no means a finished product yet, but uh, I, I think of safety valve. If you're taking away one guy I really trust in, in C.D. Lamb, well, a tight end is often that friendly uh, option for a quarterback underneath. Uh, not to say that he can't get open on a seam route or, or what have you, but uh, Ferguson is is probably my answer. Michael, I put in my notes that he's like, he's kind of George Kittle light, man. Like he's on his way to being that type <laughs> of player. He is Gosh, he he's good. This whole offense just has pieces like that, especially across the offensive line. That's where I go next here, talking about the potential absence of a future Hall of Famer and Zach Martin. Uh, I saw him walking around the sidelines watching that game uh, last week with the, the, the quad wrap and just kind of looking like he wasn't going to play again for a while. But now it sounds like he might have a chance. Do you think he plays? And if he does not, what would the absence of Zach Martin mean to the Cowboys offensive line? Yeah, well, first, before we get to Zach Martin, it's funny that you mentioned the George Kittle comparison for <laughs> Jake Ferguson because they're the same guy in their locker room. Where really? Kittle, <laughs> you see, yeah, and, and people don't really know Jake Ferguson uh, as a as a personality yet. And I'm I'm currently working to develop an article that that'll help that. Uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be this week. It'll probably be next week. But he he's that just like guy who keeps others loose. He's the the jokester who stands in front of the entire offense and, and delivers jokes. Or if there's a a, a a rookie offensive lineman, undrafted rookie who is tasked with making a you know delivering a story in front of the offensive line, and he panics. He doesn't know what he's going to say in this meeting that's coming up. He says, "Hey Jake, give me a story that I can tell my teammates." And then he gives them like this funny story. And then the offensive lineman is like, "All right, perfect." So he's he's, he's got kind of like the glue guy in the locker room that much like like Kittle is. They even have the same agent. So 
Uh, funny comparison you make. Obviously, Ferguson, not that type of player yet, but right. talk about a guy who's who's tough on the field and, and light off of it. That's 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 Jake Ferguson to, to the Cowboys locker room. Um, as for Zach Martin, uh, you mentioned the left quad injury. There is optimism, and and, and it's, I, I don't think he's you know he's going to be do anything on on Wednesday. They have a walkthrough here on Wednesday, Thursday they practice. We might not see him practice on Thursday. That is undetermined, but uh, for for certain, he's trending the right direction uh, as of early this week to play on on Sunday. And so that's that's a big deal for an offensive line. That if Martin goes, Cowboys will have started the same offensive line combination in eight straight games. And, and that's not only a big deal in general, but it's a big deal when you're including their left tackle, Tyron Smith, as part of that. The Cowboys don't even practice Tyron Smith. Right. I, I mean that literally. Zero weekday practices for several weeks. They just bottle them up and let them stay healthy, stay fresh, You know, keeping them busy in walkthroughs and in the weight room. And then come Sunday, he goes and he is as dominant as any tackle in the league. So uh, having Zach Martin, as part of that, you know, those are two potential, you know, likely uh, pro football Hall of Famers. Uh, Tyron Smith, uh, he's he's been steady over these several weeks, and, and Zach Martin is expected to return to keep that streak alive to eight. You pretty much just described Teron Armstead, too. He doesn't practice a whole lot, but is dominant when he does get on the field. And he's missed some games this year. But, man, when you get him back, it's it's so obvious how impactful he can be. And just good stuff all around there. Man, these teams these teams mirror each other so much, in my opinion. And speaking of uh, Teron Armstead and the offensive line, let's go ahead and flip it over to the other side of the ball here for the Cowboys defense here. And where else would you start besides Micah Parsons? First, I'm curious how teams have, have dealt with him. Like, how has he impacted the way – Teams have to commit extra attention and bodies to him. And then the follow-up would be, be a similar question to what I asked you about C.D. Lamb. Like, if you can get Parsons blocked, and whether it takes two or three guys or motions or whatever you have to do to take advantage of, of getting Parsons out of the game, who's the next guy you look at in this Cowboys pass rush? Yeah, so starting with Mike, Michael Parsons. Um, if anyone um, who is a fan of the Dolphins hasn't seen him yet, uh, number 11, you, you can't miss him during the game. He's just so explosive <laughs> in, in space, just so explosive. I think you're in a 4.3, uh, 40 at his, at his pro day um, after skipping a season uh, at Penn State. He's just he, – he's got that element of just pure speed and explosion. But then he's also really good with his hands. He understands leverage. He's a former, like, youth national team wrestler. Um, you know, so he, the, there's that element of him. Um, and then he's just so versatile where, you know, on, on first and second down, he might be at left end or right end. And then on third down, he's a linebacker now off ball. He's standing in front of the a gap, you know, mugging the gap. You're not sure if he's, if he's, if he's going to be blitzing, if he's going to backing out of coverage, or he might start on the left a gap and then bl rush the right a gap. I mean, he, he's so versatile and Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator here, who should be a head coach really whenever he wants to be, he can be selective. Uh, but Dan Quinn does a, a terrific job of keeping Micah Parsons on the move, making it a, an identification problem. You know, when Tua or any other quarterback gets to the line, they have to be like, all right, where's where's number 11? And do teams account for him every week? Absolutely. We've seen him double teamed. We've seen him triple teamed even. We've seen him chipped. We've seen him cut blocked. We've seen absolutely every approach one could take toward a dominant rusher. And really the only thing we haven't seen lately is, is a holding penalty because it's been eight and a half games. I, I started keeping count. There's a counter going on. 34 <laughs> consecutive quarters that one of the best, if not the best, pass rushers in the NFL has not drawn a single holding penalty. I think a single hands to the face. I double-checked that, but there have been multiple ones that have been missed there. Uh, he just isn't getting calls. And so 
if uh, if you if you're if, if you're a fan and you're on social media and during the game and you see Micah Parsons get a holding call, I guarantee you he will be trending in the Dallas area because it finally happened. Uh, <laughs> as for beyond Parsons, uh, Demarcus Lawrence is yeah. is is a com- completely. I don't know if he's underrated. Uh, people talk about he's underrated, but people talk about he's underrated so much he possibly cannot still qualify. He, he's just dominant against the run. Um, if you were to look at the first two plays that the Bills ran in the first quarter and the first two plays that the Bills ran on Sunday in the third quarter, so the first two plays of each half for the Bills offense, he shut them down entirely. Uh, he was a reason solely that the Cowboys had a chance to get off the field on third down both those series they didn't and the bills end up scoring both those series and that was kind of the, the the hallmark of the game is that they 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 had some little glimpses but they couldn't sustain it um you know demarcus lawrence can't be everywhere all, all throughout an entire game uh, but he, he's he's just so violent with his hands and he's got such a great motor and backside pursuit uh he, he's one of the best block shutters run defenders uh in the entire nfl regardless of position uh he's that good uh, so that's number 90. So 11 and 90. Those are the those are the two guys. And, and, and just like Micah Parsons is versatile. Dan Quinn has done a great job of developing Lawrence's versatility. So you might see him in a zero or one technique. You might see him aligned over the tight end and, and tight ends have been have been thoroughly unable to block him all year long. Really, really good stuff there. And it makes for even again, I'm going to keep saying it, an elite matchup across the board because Few quarterbacks have been as effective against the blitz as Tua Tungavailoa, but that Cowboys blitz is just different because of what you mentioned there with Parsons' ability to line up all over the formation and just cause communication issues, especially for a Dolphins offensive line that is pretty banged up on the interior offensive line. So, man, good stuff all around there. And it's funny you mentioned the holding stuff there with with uh, Micah Parsons. That reminds me so much of Cameron Wake's career down here in Miami. Like he would win the corner so fast that it was impossible. Like phys- like. The, the physics of it didn't make sense that he wasn't getting held at least three or four times a game when he would win that corner as a pass rusher. So good company there. Let's go ahead and take a break right there. Come back on the other side. I have four more questions. We'll do these ones quicker for you, Michael. On the other side of the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. My guest today is Michael Gelkin, brought to you by AutoNation. Finishing up with my guest today, Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. Great stuff so far in that first part of the podcast. I have four questions for you here. This one is uh, maybe a little bit of a a question I want to hear from a, a perspective of a different team because for the Dolphins, it's similar to what I think the Dolphins had to overcome last week against the New York Jets, and it's this, that the Cowboys have not lost back-to-back games since the beginning of last year. And for Miami, I thought they we learned a lot about their team makeup with the way they performed against the Jets off that really tough loss on Monday Night Football. What do you think that says about this Cowboys team and how they might respond after a tough loss last week and how they come out here against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday? Well, it's funny because I actually think that streak's about to end. Um, oh. I think the Dolphins, yeah, but but to your to, let's focus on the streak. Uh, you know, I think it speaks to the resilience of, of a locker room. Uh, I th- think it speaks to Mike McCarthy. I think it speaks to the talent of this football team. Um, you know, not just McCarthy, but I think the entire coaching staff that they, they do a good job of of, of using failure as a lesson and sometimes it can be more difficult on a monday morning after a big win to 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 get your team locked in for the next week than it would be the monday morning after after a huge disappointment of a loss and so i i'm not saying necessarily that was been the case or been the case but i just think that this team uses failure 
as a, as a great teacher. And they have a lot of great teachers and the coaching staff to, to, to frame it as such. Uh, just the way, you know, Mike McDaniel, uh, we saw that on, on Hard Knocks uh, yes, on, on, on Tuesday evening. Uh, you know, coming out of that, that Tennessee game, you know, you got to look failure in the eye. And, and you got to just, just just do it and take it and, and, and use this as, as, as a great thing that have happened to us because we're going to learn from it and we're going to be better for it. And you got to get through the tough times to, to, to experience the success and the highs of the season that you're chasing. So, uh, you know, much like Mike McDaniel frames that, uh, Mike McCarthy does the same. I'm sure a lot, a lot of coaches around the league do the same, but maybe not quite as well. I really enjoyed McDaniel you know, hearing him talk. Uh, just, I, I respect the heck of that guy. Uh, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, so I, I, I think there's there's that framing and that maturity in the locker room that the, the locker room itself with Jack Prescott, um, you know, there's there's just that, that mental toughness uh, within that room. Michael, you teased it there a little bit in the opening of that answer there. And this is how I always conclude the podcast. But I do want to come back for one more question, because I think it's the most important question I'll ask you here in just a second. But my penultimate question is the Cowboys win this game if and then you fill in the blank. And I don't always do this because a lot of our games have been against teams that are pretty big underdogs, but I will also ask you this question on top of that. The Dolphins win the game if. How do both these teams find their way to the winner's circle on Sunday? So the Cowboys can win this game if they limit the explosive plays that the Dolphins have. And those are explosives in the run game. There's obviously explosives in the passing game. This is such an explosive personnel unit with such great scheme from from McDaniel um again my respect to to what is is what is in place there uh the dolphins have it's 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 truly uh you know vaunted and it, it's it's going to be a real real challenge for this defense even if they have Malik Hooker back i mean even if they had you know some of the guys that they won't have back slowing down this dolphins team is, is, is a heck of a challenge and it starts with limiting the explosives as for the dolphins can win if they uh, i would say protect tua uh, that would probably be, be, the, be the number one thing and, and obviously that by having a run game that helps by getting rid of the ball quickly that helps by being simply able to protect that helps but if, if you're able to protect your quarterback against the cowboys defense you're probably avoiding uh, some of those bad turnovers and we've seen the cowboys you know, with Deron Bland, I think he's up to an NFL record with five, six pick sixes. Five is he's it's been a while since he, he had the last one, but uh, they they have the ability uh, to score on defense and, and to get the ball back and set up short fields on defense. So that's that's the key for for for, for the Dolphins. It's, it's protection. Yeah, to your point, these teams rank one and two in defensive scores as well. So top offenses, top defenses scoring the football. Just a fun, fun matchup on Christmas Eve. Let's go ahead and finish here because every year, Michael, you create a list of some of the top players around the NFL and their foundations and causes and encourage fans and fantasy winners to donate to those causes. I'm curious, what have you found out about the Dolphins on your 2023 champions causes? Yes, yeah, so this is something I do every year. Like you said, I think this is year number eight of having done it. And so, um, I mean, it's kind of a long story about how it started, but I'll get to the basics. You know, there's obviously no requirement for someone who wins their fantasy league to donate a portion of their winnings to a cause that a player supports. And so, like, the idea there is, you know, if a, uh, you know, if Tyreek Hill helps you win your league, it's kind of like tipping the bar, uh, tipping the uh, the blackjack dealer before you leave the table in Vegas. That's you know? great. Okay, I, I just I'm up. I won 100 bucks. Hey, here's here's 10, and you you flip your chip and you and you, and you turn around. And so it's kind of that same spirit uh, where you know. 
obviously these these players they have all the money in the world they don't need anything but they're they're causes you know their passions it, be, be it Mel, melanoma research foundation uh which uh you know or, or what have you uh, there's there's some really great causes out there and, and so I, i've been doing it again for a while and i've seen more than fifty thousand dollars be donated to todd Gurley's cause in 2017 that was shriners hospitals for children i believe based there in florida and then there was um, another one, Son of a Saint, uh, an organization in New Orleans that benefits fatherless boys in the area. And for Alvin Kamara, that raised more than $70,000. And so over the years, wow. you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been raised from fantasy managers. And what's been really cool that the spirit of champion causes has been applied uh, really by Dolphins fans to non-fantasy moments. And so we've seen you know, more than $400,000 be donated to Andy Dalton's foundation because Dalton threw a late game touchdown that got the bills into the postseason. And suddenly they just responded by donating to him. Obviously the most extreme example is DeMar Hamlin, uh, more than $10 million uh, were, 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 was donated to, to him and his causes uh, after his collapse uh, about a year ago in January. And so it's, it's a real positive thing. Um, I'm happy to kind of curate a list of causes. I'm still finalizing my list for, for Dolphins players. I don't want to give the wrong cause for them, but I post the list on, on, on or I almost said Twitter. What a huge mistake that would have been on X. <laughs> I post the list on X uh, the, on, on the Sunday morning of, of, of championship week, which in a, in a new schedule is week 17. So on, on New Year's Eve morning, that Sunday, I'm, I'm posting my list on, uh, on my, 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 on my X account there uh, at Galkin NFL. And so um, if people want to do it and want to find it, they can find it. If not, Enjoy your winnings. You deserved it. Grand Slam guest. We all got smart. Say Michael Gelkin, the Dallas Morning News. I actually have in my closer here at Gelkin NFL on Twitter. So I'm still team Twitter over X, Michael, but that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> Appreciate your time today, man. Happy holidays. And thank you so much. My pleasure, Travis. A lot of fun. Take care. Great stuff there from Michael Gelkin. You can find him on social at Gelkin NFL. Let's go ahead and pause for our last break right there. Come back on the other side and hear from the assistant coaches, Frank Smith, Vic Fangio, Sam Madison, Daryl Bevel, a great group of conversations we had in the press room on this Thursday. That's all next. Draft Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Kicking off assistant coach audio here, and I want to go ahead and start with Vic Fangio, who touched on the concept of the pass rush connection as a team, opposed to being a squad that has, you know, one or two top rushers. We've seen that in the past for the Dolphins, right? Cam Wake was kind of the, the guy. They brought in Dominic and Sue in. There was kind of a one-two punch there. You had Jason Taylor, who was obviously one of the greatest of all time to do it. And at best, he was paired with Adewale Ogunlier, who had his big year. You see all these teams across the NFL right now with the high sack totals. There's usually a Nick Bosa, a Miles Garrett, a Micah Parsons. And the Dolphins have just like five of the guys that are in that category in terms of really good pass rushers. Let's go ahead and hear from Vic Fangio on how this pass rush works as a team unit opposed to a singular functioning player. Yeah, I think we do a good job of rushing as a unit um, instead of rushing as individuals and realizing that um, a good even rush whether you're running games or not, we run we run our fair share of games and we'll provide results for the entire group. Next, I want to go ahead and play some sound here from Vic Fangio. And he was asked about Jalen Ramsey participating on scout team defense. And he would do that early in the year to go match up on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Why did he do it? Here's Vic Fangio. No, it's not normal. Um, 
especially at this point in the season. But again, it was something that he started to do once he got back to practicing because he, you know, had no off season, had no training camp, and he needed reps as many as he could get to get ready for those first few games that he played in. And he's just kind of carried it over. He's not doing it quite as much as he was when he first got back, but he is still doing it some. Let's jump now to the offensive side of the football. And Daryl Bevel is a treasure, man. I want to go ahead and play a few sound bites from here with him talking about his quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa. And I love that this came up because it became a conversation throughout the entire press conference. The fourth question he was asked was about anticipation. And Coach alluded on what makes Tua special, one of his superpowers. Here's Coach. I mean, it's one of two of superpowers, you know, really. I mean, there's um, every every player has, you know, um, skill sets that, you know, that really help them, that they're really good at. And then, you know, there's some that, you know, that they're not as good at. You know, you can just stack up all the quarterbacks, speaking specifically. Um, you know, some guys have this ability. Some guys have that ability. You know, if you compared a Michael Vick to a Tom Brady, both outstanding quarterbacks but different styles of play. Um, two of his two of secret powers are um, his anticipation, his timing, his vision, and his accuracy. And he does that as well as anybody that that I've been around. And um, not everybody can anticipate. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, you know not to get into the specifics, but different style of players, um, you know, can rely on their other skill sets. You know, whatever those may be. And um, but those are the things that he does well. And I think Mike has done a great job of, you know, taking two of his skill sets, those four things specifically, implementing an offense that enhances his skills as well as the other players that we have. You know, I mean, obviously it's, you know, t- whether it's Tyreek's skill sets, whether it's Jalen's, Durham's, Raheem, Achan, I mean, all those guys. And that's the, um, that's, you know, that's the skill that Mike has to be able to, to see a vision, implement the vision, and then use all the guys that he has, um, their skill sets to their best. And the follow-up to that was, Coach, is anticipation and vision from your boy, is that inherent or can you trust or can you teach that, I should say? Here's Coach once again. There, I think there is some, some teaching that you can do. I know I would say anticipation a lot of times is innate. Um, some, of, some of those guys have it. I think it's based on their skill set, based on how they brought up with the you know 10,000 hours of you know, of reps that they get. Um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think anticipation is probably a little bit more innate and vision, I think, are things that you can teach uh, with, a, with a lot of hours in terms of, you know, whether it's pre-snap, post-snap, and obviously that's what defenses are trying to do to trick you with, uh, you know, with where guys are and, and where they're supposed to be going. But if you if you can get through all that, I think you can train that. And I want to go ahead and finish up here with Sam Madison, who touched on his very final Q&A about the conversations you have with Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard with regards to traveling, to getting targets, to frustration boiling over. You guys surely recall the Hard Knocks clip where McDaniel pointed out Xavier Howard having a bad rep on the the Titans tape in front of the entire team, but also saying this is where you kind of get locked back in and they're, they're jumping outside of the structure of the defense trying to make a play, pressing, right? He always goes back to that. When guys make mistakes, typically it's because they're pressing, trying to go make a play in a big spot. And 
Sam Madison gave us a great soundbite here following up on that very idea about the conversations with those guys and telling them to be patient when maybe you're not getting the you know, targets. You know, it's really tough, too you know, and, um, you know, when he first came here, you know, I, I, talk, I sat him down as well as X and I tried to explain to him, like, listen, man, y'all never been in this situation before. Um, this is what's going to happen. You know, it's only one football. You know, it's going to be games, and, you know, I tried to take them through the things that I had. I've been through games, one, two, three games where you don't even receive a target, you know, but the things that you put on film, it eliminate, eliminates a lot of the other targeted routes that you will see later on down the road. You know, things come up just like last week, okay? They've seen these different things and know how they can be, how offensive can attack you, but he's been playing very well in all aspects, Short, immediate, intermediate, and deep route. Um, so where are you going to throw it? You're going to pick your poison. Um, and that's the thing that I really just try to talk to them. You know, at some point in time, they're going to have to come your way. And when they do, you have to make them pay. Um, but, you know, just because of what you guys done in the past and what you've done the last couple of weeks here, um, it's, they're going to be very slim. And I just try to encourage them on a consistent basis. And we do tend to try to bait people up. Um, and you can sit here and you can talk about it. Uh, two weeks ago um, versus Tennessee, he had opportunity to, to – he saw something and it just wasn't the right thing that he saw. And I was like, this is the effect that you get when you don't get targets, but good quarterbacks will be able to find those guys and, and they found them and then he was able to settle down and then lock back in. So the great thing is they do get frustrated because they don't, but watching the score, seeing our offense put points on the board, understanding that we're winning football games, that cures a lot of things. That cures a lot of problems and they're able to settle in and continue to play uh, you know, championship football. So there you go. Assistant coaches, always fun to hear from them and what a good group we had on this week 16 Thursday. And speaking of that, that means TNF. It's our second last TNF game. And isn't it so funny? Every single year we do this where we complain about the quality of the primetime games. I'm not watching and your boy is guilty of that. I did not watch Chargers and Raiders. I wasn't about to watch Easton Stick and Aiden O'Connell and I think I was paid off with the result of that game and that decision I made. That said, we have two of these left, guys. Like, enjoy them, because it's going back to watching, like, SEC basketball in, in February, right? Who cares? Like, it, I, I love golf. I love baseball. Nothing measures up to watching the National Football League, so enjoy it. And it kicks off. Go ahead and cue the music. We are 161-67 and 67 after a 12-4 and four week last week. That's 70.6%. I think 71% still achievable, although at this stage of the year, it's like batting average. Not a lot of movement either direction, no matter how good or bad your week was. So 12-4 and four gave us a point five. I guess, I guess it was a half percentage point bump in my overall uh, achievement this year for picking games. So let's go ahead and cue the music, and it starts on TNF on Thursday. Rams over the Saints. I So many of these teams I've kind of called out for the season, saying I'm not picking them the rest of the way. The Saints kind of fell into that bucket, even though I picked them last week against the Giants because the Giants are in that bucket also, right? But the Rams with Matthew Stafford, that, that's the game to me right there. Matthew Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He gets them over the hump. He gets the win. I think the Rams are going to be a good team down the stretch here that gets in and possibly makes some noise. Like a Rams and Lions wild card game, I would pick the Rams in that game. How cool would that be, by the way? Stafford versus Goff back in Detroit. That'd be pretty cool. On Saturday, two games that 
Always love AFC matchups. More meaning for us as Dolphins fans. It's always fun to be invested in these games. But man, the, the luster these matchups had even just a month ago. I'm taking the Bengals over the Steelers, who I don't think are going to win a game the rest of the way, which would then disrupt Mike Tomlin's record of never having a losing record in a season. I got Jake Browning and the Bengals rolling to victory in that one. In the nightcap, hoping like hell. I'm hoping like hell that the Chargers get that interim head coach bump and knock off Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. Will I pick it? No. Would I have picked the Chargers if Justin Herbert was starting? No. But hopefully we get that result and then we're playing for a division championship on Sunday. On Sunday, we switch over here to these games. Washington over the Jets. I think the Jets have been broken twice this year. The game before the first Dolphins game and the Dolphins game on Sunday. I think we're going to see a fractured team going forward and I probably won't pick them the rest of the way. It's Jets and Browns next Thursday and I'll take Joe Flacco in that one. Vikings and Lions. Give me the home team, the Lions in this one. No, is, is it in Minnesota? I forget. It doesn't matter. I'm taking the Lions either way because the Vikings offense is just completely stuck in neutral right now. Houston over Cleveland. Battle of Case Keenum and Joe Flacco. Like another one of these games that would have been kind of cool on paper if both quarterbacks were going and both teams didn't have their injuries. Although I don't care to see the Cleveland quarterback ever again. But in terms of the competitive aspect of it, could have been a cool matchup. I'm taking Houston here because I think the Cleveland Magic carpet ride has to end at some point. And I think that I, I just don't think they're a 10 and 5 football team. Like, they could get the win very easily because the Texans aren't very good without CJ Stroud. But I'm going to have Houston in this one to be able to pull this one off. Green Bay over Carolina. I think that's self-explanatory. Seahawks over Titans, although I'm not as convicted in this one because I think the Seahawks in a short week after an emotional victory against a Titans team that can beat you up and play bully ball. Fun matchup, but give me the Seahawks because they are a better team. Colts over Falcons. So a lot of these teams in the AFC, right? I put it on Twitter last week that you're rooting for some of these teams in the AFC with lower records to hopefully bump out Buffalo because ideally the scenario that I want to see play out and you want to see play out is we win the next two games and clinch the division and then in week 18 you're playing for the one seed against Buffalo and if you beat them there's a possibility at 10 and 7 a very very real possibility at 10 and 7 Buffalo doesn't get in and now you're talking about Cleveland Houston Jacksonville Indy for these potential late uh, or you know wild card seeding spots in the AFC and if you get one upset in the wild card round and you're the one seed all of a sudden we're playing at home in the divisional round against Gardner Minshew and go Cougs like love you but I'm taking Miami in that game big so root for these teams root for the Colts root for the Broncos root for the Texans in all these games I'm taking the Colts over the Falcons because the Falcons are a bit of a mess right now I'm taking Tampa Bay over Jacksonville unless Trevor Lawrence starts the game he probably will because that seems to be how it goes even though I saw his head bounce off the freaking turf on uh, Sunday night like a like a balloon like I can't believe he stayed in that game but if he starts the game I'll take Jacksonville if not I'll take Baker and the Bucks. Dolphins over Cowboys listen to the Wednesday podcast if you want to know why I'm taking the Bears over the Cardinals I'm taking the Broncos over the Patriots how funny is it that they've been running that promo on NFL Network about these the Christmas Eve holiday series is back again oh is it Broncos and Patriots cool what is it 2005 Chiefs over the Raiders on Christmas Day. That's a big one there. If the, if the Chiefs can get picked off in one of these games, there's a little bit of wiggle room here for Miami. So all these games are important going forward. Obviously just win, but Raiders over Chiefs would be nice. I'm not going to pick it in Arrowhead especially. Eagles over Giants, duh. And then the funnest game of the year probably that does not involve Miami, San Francisco and Baltimore. I think San Francisco is going to roll up these next three games and go into the postseason as being known as one of the greatest teams of all time, despite that three-game slide they had back in October. 
But man, San Francisco is rolling. I think they beat the Ravens handily on Monday night. And then Baltimore has a short week to come back and play us after you know traveling all day Tuesday morning. They're going to be a day and a half behind us in preparation for that game. So go beat the Cowboys. Get that result. Maybe you get a Buffalo upset. I doubt it, but maybe you get that. Either way, win the game. You'll be in good position to go make your own money in Week, uh, week 17 as the Dolphins are concerned. Those are my picks. That's the podcast. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a fun segment on Tua Tungavailoa, taking more Daryl Bevel quotes and talking about big games in December. So stay tuned for that. We'll also have the great Greg Olson on the podcast. He's on the call on Sunday for Fox and also on Drive Time on Friday. So don't miss any of that. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Dan Marino episode up right now. You do not want to miss that one. Also, catch us on the postgame show on 105.9 FM. I'm sorry about that. 940 Fox Sports, as well as the iHeart app. And, of course, the YouTube channel, Media Availabilities, Dolphins Today, My Breakdowns, and so much more. Also, the Dan Marino podcast. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy's coming home.